Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Today on the show... That house that he was going to flip for a profit went from seven fifty dollars down in value to $450,000 in four months. It almost bankrupt our family. Uh, so that real estate move was a, a really extremely financially difficult time for our family, and it almost cost our family everything. Hey guys, how's it going? So new interview that's just been uh, uploaded here for you that you're about to watch. So here's the thing: when I go through and I uh, do one of these interviews, and I, I put a, I put a lot of time and attention and effort into. Uh, putting together an entire agenda of an intention that we want to fulfill upon these uh, presentations. Um, but here's the beautiful thing is we always start with an inc- a clear intention and a feeling that we want people to have. And then we, I, I'm very open to the conversation to go the direction it wants to go. Okay, the backstory to how this uh, presentation and, and interview I have with Tom Carrazza here is that, so I was watching an, an interview Sorry, take one step back from there. I was actually working with one of my coaching clients and he had mentioned this video that Tom had put out and he said it was just a fantastic uh, uh, look at this whole thing around some economics, some inflation and deflation, what's going on in the marketplace. So then I went and I found the video and it was just a fantastic uh, simplified view of a very complex topic. And I think that's one of the tests and a measure of an amazing educator is somebody that can take something that is extremely complex and boil it down into something that, you know, a good old farm boy like myself can understand, a good old farm boy from Saskatchewan can understand, then uh, he's done a really amazing job. So so Tom and I dove into a couple real key and a couple deep conversations and a couple real heavy, meaty topics. We talked a lot about economics. We talked a lot about inflation and deflation and some of the indicators of what's going on in the marketplace. And Tom shared something on this interview of something that I think he said he hasn't shared with any other group before other than his own newsletter subscribers is that he shared the 10 the 10 um, economic indicators that they pay attention to and what are the most important ones right now and what are the signals telling them of the actions they should do with Tom Nick and what they're advising their rock star inner circle clients out in Ontario uh, so we went deep into that and um, what I'm going to do it's, I'm recording this intro before this work is done, but I'm holding myself accountable to it, is I'm actually going to get the transcription for this all done, and I'm going to get that checklist put together and and give you guys a checklist. You know, 100% of the credit is going to Tom. It's 100% his creation, and by all means, reach out to Tom and say thank you for this wonderful thing. But I'm going to transcribe it. I'm going to get those checklist things. I'm going to put in there. I might put a few of my insights, my own personal insights into this, and I want to share that with each and every one of you as well. So anyways, I could go on and on in this um, setup, but Tom Carrazza is a national treasure. He truly is. He he and his brother Nick run an amazing group of uh, real estate investors out in Ontario called the Rockstar Inner Circle. And towards the end, Tom shares, um, you know, where you can maybe get a newsletter that they provide, or even maybe just if you're interested in the, the Rockstar Inner Circle, where you can reach out to them. Okay, hope you enjoy this interview. Talk to you very soon. Bye for now. If you've been following along in some of the series that I've been doing with helping out and providing tools and resources for real estate investors during these turbulent times, you you would have seen the story I shared with identified eight mistakes that I had made during the last challenging time. And one of the biggest mistakes I made was I didn't seek enough wisdom and I played small during the last challenging time. So here's what I'm doing this time is I made a commitment that I want to start seeking wisdom, start seeking more information from people who know more than I do and people maybe have been in the market more than I am. So that's what's the backdrop for our conversation here today. So first and foremost, Tom Carrazza, please welcome and say hello to everyone here. Yeah, thank you so much, Russell. I really appreciate this. And like I said, your your setup there is making me really kind of envious. And I shouldn't have envy, but it's you look so good over there. So nicely done. I'm happy oh, to be here. Oh. Thanks for having me. 
I'm blushing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to have a fun conversation today. And, and, you know, we may get into the nerdy end of the pool a little bit. And and please forgive us for a second. But I'm going to preface this by saying, and I'm not preface this by saying giving away our power. I'm just preface this by saying that neither Tom or I are economists or, or prognosticators or, or any of those kind of things. We're just real estate investors that have some gray in our beard and gray in our hair. Well, those no, of us have less hair. hair. Less and less hair all, every day. And, and we, we've been, we pay attention as really what we do. So, so Tom, um, I consider you and your brother Nick to be um, treasures in Canada, but nobody out West really knows about you guys too much because you really don't get outside of Toronto too often. So for those of you that are that are watching this, can you maybe just give a real quick Coles note summary about yourself, uh, what you do in real estate and how you help investors? Sure. Thanks, Russell. And you're, you're too kind. I mean, that's very gracious of you. So thank you. Um, so yeah, myself and Nick, we, we uh, own and operate Rockstar Real Estate out here in the Toronto area. We're out in Oakville on the west side of Toronto. We started this business because we were investing in properties in our 20s. And uh, I was in the corporate world. I was working for a company called Oracle Corporation. And all my friends were buying tech stocks, Russell. You know, it was, it was during the tech run-up and everybody was buying tech stocks. And somehow I found myself reading books like from Robert Allen and stuff. You know, like these, these multiple streams of income and all these books. And I thought, I'm going to get into this real estate world. And uh, bought some rental properties, flipped some properties. And everybody was saying that both myself and my brother were crazy. So I just felt I was like in this world of you know, I wanted to do more real estate stuff, but I was in this tech world and I also was starting to feel trapped in a corporate world and uh, decided I wanted to quit my job and just go full time into getting my real estate license. Russell, I, Nick and I got our real estate licenses. I, there's lots of great realtors in the world, lots of them. Okay. But at the time I did not know any. <laughs> so Nick and I thought, why don't we get our real estate license for ourselves? We won't even help anybody else out, just ourselves. And we'll bypass the realtor community. I mean, no disrespect to anyone, but that's what we did. And now uh, uh, we've turned that into helping other investors buy properties, helping them, guiding them all around Toronto buy properties. We started Rockstar Real Estate. And now there's a big team here at Rockstar. There's about 50 of us here at Rockstar. And we help investors all over the greater Toronto area buy all sorts of different properties uh, for the last 12, 13 years. And... uh, that's, that's, that's a little bit, that's, that's kind of my, my story. I quit my job in 2007 when everyone told me I shouldn't and uh, walked away. So you, you, you mentioned you got started in your 20s. So, so you've only been investing for like seven, eight years now. Is that, is that the number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me, I look at myself in the mirror every morning. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm getting, I'm getting old. But you know how we start? My mom was renting out. Rooms. So we lived in Toronto for a while in Etobicoke, and my mom was renting out rooms in a boarding house that we lived in for twelve dollars a week in the 1970s. And she would go and change the sheets and do all that stuff. My father in the 1980s ran a drywall company, and he was uh, starting to run his drywall company and, and then beginning to flip properties in Mississauga. He was buying homes from a new home builder in Mississauga and flipping them. And he was making more income from his uh, profit of flipping those properties than his drywall company. And uh, he continued to do that for our family. And then 1990 hit. And I don't know, Russell, were you out in Ontario? You've never lived in Ontario, have you? No, I've never had the pleasure. Okay, yeah, well... (laughs) That's very, also very kind. You're a kind <laughs> gentleman. Um, but 1990 hit, and our father was flipping three properties. And 1990 was a terrible time here. And luckily, he sold two of them. But one house he was uh, flipping, it was a 4,400 square feet, three-car garage in Mississauga. He bought it in 1990 for $750,000. So right up here. Four months after he bought it, three things happened. HST or GST came out, NAFTA came out, and the Bank of Canada raised interest rates. And then the banks raised interest rates on our father by three full percentage points in one month. Three points in one month. That house that he was going to flip for a profit went from seven fifty down in value to four hundred and fifty thousand in four months. It almost bankrupt our family. Uh, so that real estate move was a really extremely financially difficult time for our family, and it almost cost our family everything. Wow. So um, that that back then was uh, that was the real eye opener of how profitable real estate could be, but also how dangerous real estate could be. 
double-edged sword. And, and, and that, so first of all, thank you for sharing that. You know, not a lot of people share, a lot of people are very quick to share all the wins and the social media and the Insta, I call it the Instagram, Facebook, uh, look at me, look at me's, but not a lot of people will share the other side of the coin and it does happen. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so here, here's really the conversation I, I really want to dive into. So the, the, the context of it. So I, I might even get my dates wrong here a little bit, but I think it was, it was a year ago in October where I was out at one of your events and I was presenting on, on your stage there. And I was a couple things that just blew me away. First of all, you had almost 900 people out to your event on a Saturday, right. In a, in a, on a, on a, on a Saturday. And that, that was phenomenal. And then number two is the presentation you had delivered about what's going on in the marketplace, a little bit of the economic update and uh, just calming the waters with everything. I was just so blown away with, with, with the, the depth of knowledge and the insight that you had into the market, which is the reason why I reached out to you. And the other reason I reached out to you was I saw this incredible Facebook video that you put out and you talked about inflation and deflation. And you brought it right down into a BMX bicycle and a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. So, so Tom, um, I, I have, uh, I have a Wayne Gretzky rookie card and just guys, just as an FYI, this is the real deal here, uh, going right back to 1979. Uh, this is a Wayne Gretzky rookie card here. It's in glass. This is, uh, from my, from my wife's father, a gift to, uh, our son, and that is an authentic Wayne Grisky rookie card. So I'm here to trade you, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> a Wayne Gretzky rookie card for some information on what's going on in the marketplace. Okay. So maybe here's how we're going to start. Um, maybe you can just give a little bit of a snapshot on, on inflation and deflation and the way you described it. And maybe we'll post the, the full length video where you can where you drew out everything and stuff like that but it was probably the best definition I've seen of inflation and deflation. And then that could be a, a context of a conversation that we're going to have. Okay, That's sure. A good question. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope I do. I hope I do it justice, but just I just remember the great one is watching us, right? So, um, so okay? I spoke of the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. I no longer right. have one. You actually have one. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you're winning. I'm losing. <laughs> But uh, anyway, okay, so the context came from, it was a guy on our team. He said, Tom, why are we talking about inflation and property prices during all of this time? Like, I, I don't understand how property prices might act. And I don't quite get this whole inflation thing. And I said, okay, let's, let's think about this a little bit and use a bit of an analogy to use it. So that's how the BMX bike and the Wingretzky card came to be. So uh, we use this story to describe inflation and deflation. The idea is, let's go all the way back to grade six, and Russell has his uh, BMX bike, an amazing... B oh, no, you have the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. You're, you're in a better... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, about to, I'm about to diss on that Wayne Gretzky rookie card. I feel badly okay. for it, but anyway. I have the BMX bike. I have the BMX bike. We're in grade six together, so we're going back a long time. And at recess, you know, somebody walks up to me at recess and says, Tom, that's an amazing BMX bike. I have a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Will you give me your bike in exchange for my Wayne Gretzky rookie card? And I knew that he had the only Wayne Gretzky rookie card in all of school. And so for, I associated a ton of value with that, right? Like, geez, he has a Wayne Gretzky rookie. I have this BMX bike. In my mind, I had already done the deal. But I told the guy, I said, you know what? Let's wait until Monday. Secretly, I was going to hope that I could ride my bike on the weekend. But on Monday, let's meet at recess and we'll, we'll do the deal. I didn't tell him that, but I said, on Monday, let's talk again and we'll go from there. So weekend passes, Monday rolls around, recess comes out. And at recess on Monday, this, this boy comes out and he says, hey, Tom, I'm ready to change, you know, to exchange you my Wayne Gretzky rookie card for your BMX bike. But unbeknownst to him, over the weekend, somehow 30 other kids got Wayne Gretzky rookie cards on the weekend. So when he pulled out his Wayne Gretzky rookie card to exchange it for my bike, 30 other Wayne Gretzky rookie cards started popping up in the air. And some kids had played some games like the scrambles and all those games that we used to play. So they had collected four and five Wayne Gretzky rookie cards for themselves. And now these kids were offering me four or five Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in exchange for my bike. So now all of a sudden the dynamic had changed. Instead of my bike being worth one Wayne Gretzky rookie card, I might be able to get five Wayne Gretzky rookie cards for it. So my question to you or the, the person on the team that I was speaking with is, what happened there? My bike is exactly the same. Nothing's changed. 
Why on Monday was I able to get five Wayne Gretzky rookie cards at recess instead of Friday, just one? The thing that's changed is the Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. Yep. There's, more, there's more of them in circulation. So my bike is exactly the same bike. Nothing's changed in, with my bike. It's just that there's more Wayne Gretzky rookies in circulation. So in my life, the Wayne Gretzky, uh, sorry, the BMX bike is a good income property. Right. The Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in that example are representing Canadian dollars. When there's more Canadian dollars in there, then my, my, my BMX bike can get more, or my property can demand more Canadian dollars. And then it becomes the next question, Russell, is, well, like, hold on a second here. What, what happened if all those dollars were, were printed or all those Wayne Gretzky cards were printed on the weekend, but on recess on Monday, those 30 kids who had those extra Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, what happens if they stayed, kept those cards at home and hid them under their mattresses? Well, on that Monday, when that, 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 that friend of mine came to do the trade, I wouldn't have seen all the other Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. And I would have thought that he's the only one in existence and even though there was 30 other Wayne Gretzky rookie cards out in existence, because they were hiding under the mattresses, I didn't know any better. So the price of my BMX bike didn't change and I was willing to do it for one. Now, what's that? That is what we call velocity of money. Right. Because the Wayne Gretzky rookie cards are at home hiding under the mattresses, there's no velocity. The money is not out to play. It's kind of like, and what's that representative of today? That's stimulus that might go into the economy, might go into Alberta, but when it doesn't get out into the streets turning over, it doesn't have the impact. So without velocity of money, we don't get the inflation effect of the extra currency, right? And then I'll go one step further. So now what happens if the principal comes out at recess and says, well, what's all this commotion? What's all this commotion going on? I'm confiscating all these Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. So I was about to get five because there was all these Wayne Gretzky. She confiscates them all. But the one original friend of mine hid his in his back pocket. So when they were all confiscated, my bike went from five Wayne, worth five Wayne Gretzky rookie cards back down to one Wayne Gretzky rookie card because he was, again, the only game in existence. And that is deflation. During a deflationary environment, the money in circulation disappears. Loans get paid off. Back at the bank, credit lines get paid off. Visa cards get paid off. The money is extinguished. It disappears. That's deflationary. Yeah, and so that principle. Even, sorry, and even right now, there's even a, a an accelerant on this too. Is that even if you did have the money, you can potentially even go spend it, if even if you wanted to. Yeah, I have the hardest time trying to articulate these things. I tell everyone, I'm like, money is not the thing of value in your in your life. Like when we were all quarantined at home um, and you're at home and there's no economy, if all the dollars in the world just fell to the ground, if just stopped circulating, fell to the ground, what is the real value when Russell's quarantined at home and I'm quarantined at home? The, the real value is the roof over my head, the food I have in my fridge. If I do have an income property somewhere, that I'm able to charge something for it, that's of, of value to me. But if all the dollars just kind of fell to the ground, the things that I look around that are valuable to my life are not the dollars themselves. It's the things that I that own. The yeah. economy's value is the goods and services, not the currency in it. That's just a medium of exchange, the way we use currency. Yeah. So, And almost guarantee that everybody is looking at that multi-purpose room in their house now, looking at it a little bit differently. And they're valuing having a dedicated office space if you have to work from home and not have to have the kitchen table where you're doing the taxes and not have to have your Zoom call over here with the little screen over here. And, and you know, people are probably just re-looking at their housing as a place of doing business even more than they did before. Totally. Yeah, it makes us uh, 100% agree. So anyway, okay. that, and that's the example. I hope that was clear oh, enough. That's fantastic. Uh, so, 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 blunt question here, Tom. So, are are you? What is your opinion of what's happening right now? So, let's take it into the marketplace. And like I said, it's okay to have an opinion because that's why we're having this conversation. And 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 Lord knows I've been wrong with many of my uh, thoughts on things. But what are you seeing here, and what are you advising people? Are you seeing a little bit of deflation right now with inflation to come, or what? What are you seeing? I don't want to put words in your mouth. 
Okay, and, and I'll answer that. You said something really interesting to start this off, just for yep. some context. You yep. said at some point in your life, you didn't get more information or something. Or yeah, didn't I didn't seek okay. enough wisdom and yeah, okay. coaching and so, guidance, yes. Okay. So when we almost lost everything as a family in 1990, we went from thinking you make money in real estate through appreciation and flipping to cash flow. Nick, and the big lesson we learned is like, oh my gosh, without cash flow, you can't survive. That's, that's what we took away, right? So then Nick and I, when we went on our own, we went to the cash flow world. And then 2008 hit and we were caught by surprise. And Russell, that was our deep dive. We thought, oh my gosh, we need more information because we understood cash flow is valuable, but what the heck is going on in the economy here? How are we as a family being caught off guard twice back in 1990 and now again, we're, we don't know. And that was, our, that was the start of our deep dive. And so you're right. I'm not an economist by any means, but I do have an opinion. And yep. this is our 12 years of reading and studying all this stuff and trying to protect ourselves is that we're definitely in a recession. I heard some, I think our finance minister the other day said, I think we might be in a recession here in Canada. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think we can all. <laughs> so, yeah. I well, it actually might be a new classification. Like this is truly, there, there's black swans and then there's this, right? Totally, totally. So I think if, if I was to guess, I mean, we're in a deflationary period where I think our savings rate is going to go up where everybody starts hoarding money. So we are in, a, we are in some time of a short-term deflationary period where the banks make lending tight. They increase their lending standards, which we can talk about what we're seeing if you'd like. Um, and people hoard money. That's just naturally deflationary. Um, and then after that, because that cannot be accepted by the central banks, we live in a debt-based currency system. And if there's no growth of the flow of money, the system kind of collapses on itself. So the governments can't stand for this and they'll have to try ways to get people spending money. So I don't know if a, if a strong inflation comes after this, but to me, we're in a temporary deflationary period. I don't know if it's three months, six months, nine months, a year, but after that, some strong inflation and not that I even want the inflation. I'm just thinking that the governments won't stand for the deflation. So they're going to have to have some super aggressive policy response to try and get some inflation. Yeah. Well, you know, the politicians, you know, job number one is get elected. Job number two is get reelected and they, they don't want to have anything bad happen on their watch. So they'll do whatever they can to, to prop it up and keep it going. Whether that's right or wrong, that's not the commentary we're doing. We're just, we're just pivoting and adjusting to what is transpired and what is transpiring, right? So, so in inflationary times, um, a good piece of real estate is a good asset to be in, is it not? Yeah, yeah. We, we definitely think so because in inflationary times, not only do you have hopefully some income stream, but you have a durable, you know, you have a hard asset and a hard asset when, when there's more money, when there's more Wayne Gretzky cards going into the system, they become worth less and the BMX bikes become worth more. So in my life, I want more BMX bikes. They're hard to make. They're hard to get. Rental properties are hard to get. Good pieces of real estate, multi-unit buildings, hard to get, hard to manage. I want more of the good stuff while they're devaluing the currency. Ab absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So, so what are you, what are you, what are you advising your clients right now? Like based upon this of, of so you're, you're saying def recession, deflationary times, um, it's unknown how long it's going to be. However, we all still have our goals and dreams and kids still got to go to school eventually. And we still want the cottage at the lake and we still want to be able to retire with freedom. Um, so what are you advising people to do on action? Now, everybody's a unique case, but what are you in generally advising people to do within the real estate investing community? Yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big question. Thanks for yeah, giving me the easy questions here. Russell. Yeah, easy go. <laughs> well, that's so why I, guess, I come to the I, seek wisdom, right? I'm like at the, I'm at the foot of the mountain talking to people. No, not at all. Not at all. But I can give you our, our thoughts on it for sure. Um, it, it, it's something we kind of learned through our lives and just our family story is that you always want to have these three buckets in your life. So it's, it's less about the, the advice now. And it's just stuff we've been talking about for about at least 12 years with our clients is you want these three buckets. You want cash and you want cash because you, you want to prepare for emergencies 
and deflation. Most real estate investors think of cash as like they should have three months worth of carrying costs or six months worth or nine months worth, a year's worth. And that's a fine way to think about it. But you also want cash if deflation does take hold because cash is king. If, if, if more Wayne Gretzky cards go into the system, the ones that are left are worth more, right? So you want cash. So you want cash for your emergencies and any deflationary events. So to us, that means create access to your lines of credit if you don't have enough cash in your savings account. You know, true up those lines of credit right now while you can. So you want cash. The second thing that you want um, is definitely hard assets. You, you want properties because if inflation takes off, hard assets are going to go up in value. And if you can have real estate properties that produce income, even better. Because the, if they can pay for themselves, you will survive. The reason our family almost lost everything in 1990 is that property couldn't even rent itself out and break even. Even rented out, we were losing money. So, you know, that's a bad situation to be in. So you want properties because inflationary environments, hard assets go up in value. So, you, And the third bucket that you want, in our opinion, is you want some insurance on the whole system. And the insurance can come in multiple different ways. Our favorite way is some gold because precious metals have a history of being insurance in inflationary times. And if there's deflation, it tends to, and this is my own research, some, you know, your, 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 uh, your, your membership and your members and the, your, your friends listening, they can research this them for themselves. But if, if there's deflationary time, gold tends to go down less. And if it goes down less than everything else around it, you're still winning. And it's out of the financial system. Gold and silver bullions out of the financial system. Some people prefer Bitcoin to gold and silver, the more digital type of gold. And that's fine to us too. But to us, gold and Bitcoin would be the insurance on the financial system. So to summarize, you want cash, you want hard assets, and then you want insurance. And if you have those three buckets to us, it's like, bring it. Yeah. Tell the economy, you know, bring it. Whatever the economy has, bring it. I got you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, re I'm ready. I'm ready. So, you so to, those three buckets. You got those three buckets. Pardon the pardon the movie reference, but uh, stay gold pon pony boy, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. totally. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that th thank you. That that's incredible. So, so really, even even another thing to think about too during these times. So, so it's probably there's just truly we're in uncertain times. Is really one of the the buzzwords you have. So, when there is uncertainty, what do humans do? What does the human condition do? Is typically the human condition. Um, goes to a flight to safety, right? That's one of the reasons why, another reason why you see people going to gold, one reasons why um, it's going to be, in, the real estate market is going to be impacted. There's going to be 100%, there's going to be impact on the real estate market, but I think it'll be lessened because it is, you're still your home and people will still come back as a flight to safety back to your home. And people are also a flight to security. And why do you think people are running out and buying toilet paper? And why do you think craft dinner sales are up? People just want that security, a security blanket of feeling that they just have a little bit of knowing what's going on, right? They just need a hug to just know that this is okay. We're all okay, right? Um, speaking of economic indicators, and you say you've been studying this for 12 years, you, you have a list and I, I might, I'm probably going to get the number wrong. Is it seven indicators or what, how many indicators that you do? You know, you we measure? have we have a ton of them. It's just whatever is our favorite at the moment. I'm actually have, we have like, I guess it's our 10 favorite I, on the video that you're talking about. I didn't put them all up there, but yeah. we probably have our 10 favorites that we look at. I can, do you want me to list them? Yeah, why don't we list all 10 of them? Okay. And then um, let's, I'd like to maybe dive into what you would feel are the most important for us to be watching right now. If that, okay. is that a, is Russell, that a good thing? Absolutely. And Russell, I've never shared these before. Oh, really? Yeah, never shared these before. We talk about with, with, you know, the different rock star members we work with, we talk about, I've never shared these as a list like this. We're okay. actually going to do a video on some of these coming up, but you're, you're going to be the first time I've kind of just listed them all off. But well, so here's, I'll, I'll make sure we, uh, I'll make sure we keep this a secret, this video. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just between, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> public, this is, these are all public stuff, but yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so I guess our, our 10 favorite, and I can explain any, any one of them, but our, it's the velocity of money, um, interest rates debt levels, and there's three different categories. It's government, corporate, and individual. Um, the fourth one is employment. And the fifth one is lending standards. Those are our top five. And then the extra five, which we like, are population growth, housing supply, fiscal stimulus, monetary stimulus, and personal savings rate. 
So those, those are things that's kind of like the raw material Nick and I will use to, to make some decisions on what we think is coming forward. Like, is it, is it deflationary times coming forward or inflationary times? And it allows us to adjust those three buckets accordingly. So if we think deflation's coming, it's like, you know what, maybe we should true up on the cash side of those three buckets because we want some extra cash. So if we have some lines of credit, we haven't got on some of our properties, let's hustle out and get those done right now. Yeah. So and I, I'm going to offer you something here. I think there's a way to categorize. I was trying to write all those things down, guys, if you might want to go back and review that. Um, if you were to actually do one more bucket layer to it, I think there's three buckets within that. It comes down to people. Like, for example, what are the people doing? Are they earning money? Are they working? Things like that. People, the money, what is money doing? Be it Whether it be lending, the velocity, or the other is what is the policy? What is government policies? What are lending policies? So it really could probably, you could bucketize them into people, money, and policies. I like it, Russell. There's a video on that in your future. We have a TM. Let's put a TM on that. Let's trademark that thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. I see it. I see it coming. I see it coming. It's a good one. It's good. So so I know for time's sake, and I know we could talk forever, but what, what do you think is the most important things that we should be watching right now? to kind of be a, a, some signals for us to be, to be taking a look at? Oh, the number one by far to me is velocity of money. Okay. And unfortunately, the Bank of Canada doesn't do a good job in Canada on giving us as much information. Like as crazy as the U.S. can be, they do a good job of publicly sharing their craziness. You know, like their debt levels and their debt. They just throw it out there. Whereas Canada, we're a little bit more, I don't know if our government just is a little more secretive or we just don't publish it as much. So, And because we're so dependent on the U.S., what happens there is very indicative of what's going to happen here. So if you go to the St. Louis Federal Reserve, if you just Google up St. Louis Federal Reserve velocity of money, you'll see their velocity of money chart. And it is pointing like straight down right now. Yeah. To us, when you see that, that's a huge indicator that people are saving. They're not spending. There's no Wayne Gretzky rookie cards out in circulation. So it's a sign that the economy is deflating. Um, and the velocity of money tells us a lot. It's, it's, it's rarely discussed. Like I find it's never discussed in like the Globe and Mail or the Toronto. Yep. You'll never like hear people talk about it, but it, to us, it's like, it is a massive economic indicator. So if you and I, like Russell, if you just keep an eye on that and I keep an eye on that, we can just get a sense of like what's happening. Yeah. Well, even this, I can guarantee, and this is conversations I have with real estate investors all the time, and there's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that's going on right now too. Meaning most people, I can almost guarantee, and guys, if you're watching this or listening to this, these words will be in your head right now. Mark my words. You're saying, I'm going to just sit and wait and see. I'm going to wait and see what happens. Um, if everybody waits and sees is a self-fulfilling prophecy that we know exactly what's going to happen and it's going to go down. It's going to go down. If everybody is sitting and waiting and seeing, you will fulfill upon that. Right? Totally. totally. And that's where I find I tell investors, especially I think people who are just starting because they're very obsessed with the price of their properties. Yep. And I'm like, if you really want freedom in your life, if you want to you know, go on your family vacations and you want to have freedom, you have to become a sophisticated investor where the price, of course, is important. Absolutely, it's important. Yep. But real freedom comes from ownership of good assets. The price of them is definitely going to fluctuate. And I'm not trying to tell anybody to yep. run down on the streets and buy something where they think it's yep. inaccurately priced. But your freedom is going to come from how many good assets you own in your life. Yep. Less discussion on the price and more on how can I accumulate, buy, and own at, or create. Even you know we're talking real estate here, Russell. But I mean, you can you can create your own asset by starting your own business as well. Yep. Right? So you just want to own assets and income-producing assets, and that's where freedom comes from. Yep. But uh, the, we but everyone does get associated with the price, and it becomes a little bit of a psychological thing. And to your self fulfilling prophecy comment, absolutely, that's totally what's going to happen, right? Everyone's going to sit on their hands here a little bit and see how this unravels. Okay. And uh, we could be looking at the the biggest economic event of our entire lifetimes. Yeah, so, I had I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, and. And he even was been through a war, and he said this is be the biggest event he's seen in his lifetime too, right? Uh, you know, not uh, way back wars, but uh, uh, some recent things. I see when he was younger. So, so I'm going to just go back one more time. So, velocity money is important to see. What's another another couple that are important that you guys measure all, uh, and take a look at? 
Okay, and this is probably ob- obvious to yourself yep. and everyone listening to this, but it's interest rates. And the yep. reason interest rates are so important is that's the price of money. Like interest rates decides the price of money. And as an investor, I always felt it was the one variable that our family could not control. So that when Nick and I were caught off guard in 2008, we're like, we better understand how the bank, the central bank set interest rate policy. Because as investors, I can control, like Russell, you and I can decide what street to buy on. We might know the demand for the properties better than other people because we know that area so intimately, that little pocket of one community so well that you and I could buy a property. When everyone else is saying no, we might still feel comfortable because we have that information advantage over the market. But there's one thing as investors we can't control, and that's interest rates. So it, to us, you have to get it, understand fixed rates, variable rates, bank prime rates, the overnight lending rate in the Bank of Canada, because to us as investors, it's the variable that's out of all of our control. So it's, yeah. it's definitely important. Well, the one interesting thing, and, and this is the, the, the thing I see with interest rates, is there's a, a perception and then there's also a reality behind the scenes. And, and this is what I mean, Tom. And you probably see this as well. Is, you know, on one hand, the banks are saying, we're going to lower interest rates and we're going to protect everything and no problem. Money is still going to flow. You can qualify for mortgage rates. Interest rates are 1%. Oh, awesome. Until you actually walk in with an application in hand and you sit there, okay, I want my 1% interest rate mortgage. And they go, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. We can't give that to you. Your interest rate's 4.5%. Right? Yeah, and, you're, and, you're an investor. Old, you're you're buying investment real estate. Yes. But what are you crazy? So so there's a perception, and then there's also an on the streets reality at the same time. And, and a good friend of mine, I you know you know would know Callum Ross as well. I know that yeah, I know the name. I know the name. Yeah, yeah. And Callum makes a joke often: is what's the difference between a three and a half percent mortgage and a five and a half percent mortgage? You can get the five and a half percent mortgage. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's just so frustrating, right? And I do think that's going to be the epic battle going forward. I really think bank, and we see it. So just as by way of example, just last week, we had somebody approved on a property. Um, this person is a VP in a great corporation. I won't name the company, but it's one of the companies being affected greatly by what's going on in the world right now. Closing came up. Banks didn't fund the mortgage. He was approved. They changed their mind and decided he was in an at-risk category now. He was approved a month ago, more than a month ago for this yep. property, and now they didn't fund the mortgage on him. And this is the kind of stuff where I get so frustrated with the banking system where it, unfortunately, and it's probably my frustration because they hold all the cards, right? They have the money. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a frustrating thing. And uh, you're right. It's, it's it, interest rates in the banking sector. It's, it's something we all need to study. But I do believe there's a battle coming forward between the banks tightening and the government of Canada at some point is going to say to these banks, listen, you need to lend. And I don't know if that's going to be in six months or a year or 18 months, but I feel in this country we're, do, we're, we're going to see this epic battle between the government and the banking system where the banks don't, are not going to want to lend and the government's going to say lend. Yeah. And it's going to be a freaky situation, Russell. Well, if you think about it, and there's a fellow out here on the West Coast of Canada. I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Campbell, uh, Michael Campbell Money Talks. I haven't. Um, he's a wonderful, and has a wonderful take, and he, he really thinks about it. And he's going, he goes, guys, here's the, the potential challenge a little bit is, you know, the potential risks are higher. And when risks are higher, interest rates should be going up but they've gone down. So banks are saying, and I think they're being a little bit of twisted arm to, to do that. Um, so they should be going up, but they're going down, but they're not lending. So it's just, it's just a couple, a couple, um, you know, a little bit of gasoline and kerosene that's being thrown on things as well in the capital markets is uh, things. And, and I, by all means, this is way above my pay grade, and, but I'm a, I, I, I'm a student of this and I'm in this and, and I make the joke is access to capital is like oxygen for a real estate investor. It totally. truly is. Without yeah. the access to the capital, um, you're, 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 you're done, right? Yeah, and that's, and that's the, and, and, and we all circle back to your next question, but that's the kind of interesting thing, which is the, the, this is a, you know, some of the best economists and analysts that I follow are calling this a balance sheet recession. And the reason they're calling it a balance sheet recession is that the, you know, the individuals have are carrying a lot of debt. Corporations are carrying a lot of debt. And after the 2008 crisis in the U.S., the governments around the world are carrying a lot of debt. 
So even if interest rates are low, when your balance sheet, when you carry a lot of debt and, and money is cheap, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to borrow anymore because like I am responsible for this over here and I better pay some of that down. So even though interest rates are really low, it's not very stimulative because we all have this much debt. And it's why debt's one of the indicators. When everyone's like levered up, it's hard to create the demand and the velocity because people want to pull their debt down during times like this. So we're really in this kind of like, you know, that's, and that's why people also refer to it, Russell, as a liquidity crisis, because there's no liquidity when there's a lot of debt, even though money's cheap, you can't get the money flowing to right. service the debt. So I'm, I'm off track. So I apologize. Yeah, no, no worries. So, so in order to solve the liquidity, is, is that's when we hear these announcements. Um, I'm going to frame it as a question. So when we hear announcements that CMHC is buying back some debt, is that what they're trying to do is give the confidence and they're creating some liquidity in the lending, lending market? Yeah, and everyone's going to have their two cents on exactly why they're doing it. But yeah, to me, they're trying to pull some of that off the books, off the balance sheets of some of these banks so they feel a little more encouraged to go out and lend money. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah like there's there's some, you know, if you've ever dealt with um, local credit unions, and I know you guys have that out in Ontario, but after a certain amount of time, a, a credit union would sit there and goes, well, we have no more, we have no money to more money to lend. So we won't, we're not issuing any more mortgages. So potentially they could free up some more lending capacity to lend to more people wanting to invest in, in, in a new tractor or a new truck or a new uh, barn or things like that to just keep the economy restarted. And, you know, and don't get me started. It would be nice if we actually could, uh, you know, maybe get a pipeline built out to East oh, Canada or something Listen, and take care of our own energy it. requirements. Listen, I was in the Toronto bubble over here and not paying attention to your pain over in Alberta. But then as I've become educated on it, I then am getting frustrated over here because I'm like, why, you know, anyway, I won't get into the pipeline. I know that's a, like a big political thing, but to me, it just seems, yeah, it would be nice if you guys got what you needed. Yeah. Believe it or not. All right. So, Velocity of money and interest rates. Do you mind just sharing one more indicator that you gonna that you kind of look at? And I know we could truly just geek out like crazy on this uh, for for hours, as I mentioned. But what's one more indicator that you measure? Okay, one of the ones that's talked about a little bit in the media, but is really important, is personal savings rate. And the reason that personal savings rate is really important during these times is because when we see the personal saving rate spike up, which I anticipate we will, like Russell, I'm sure the Globe and Mail or the Financial Post in the next two or three months is going to say, Canadians' personal savings rate has spiked up. Like I, I feel like that headline's coming our way. And the reason that we're going to see that is the self-fulfilling prophecy that you spoke of earlier, that people are going to sit on their hands and they're going to save money. They're going to try and pay off some debt because they're nervous on what they see in the economy. And when we see the personal savings rate go up, that again is another like sub indicator to the velocity of money. That means velocity is not happening at a time when we need velocity to happen. So the personal savings rate to me is just that other thing. Like if I see velocity starting to turn up and the personal savings rate start to come down, I'm like, okay, Everyone's in the game now. You know, money's moving. People are saving less. We're about to see an inflationary environment again. But when I see the velocity of money turn down and the personal savings rate, which I anticipate that I'll see going up, then it's gonna. It, that's going to confirm some of my beliefs of like, oh, you know what? We are in a bit of a deflationary wave right now. So the personal savings rates, like maybe it's not discussed often by real estate investors. I'm not sure if you talk about it too much. I know I don't talk about it too much, but yeah. it's one of the ones right now I'm paying attention to. Okay. Okay. So, so these are ones that we just kind of, now here's, I'm going to ask a question and, and I know we didn't talk about this in advance, but um, do you offer like a, a newsletter or a subscription to your research or something like that, that maybe I can offer to the people that are, are, are part of this and, or, or maybe I'm giving you a, a business idea that you maybe can have a, a newsletter <laughs> subscription or something. We, you know what we are local. We, because we deal with stuff more locally here in Toronto, yeah. our clients here, we, they, they do, we do have a newsletter that they subscribe to and it is a paid for thing, but it is Russell very applicable to the Toronto to be fair. Yeah. It's a more applicable to the Toronto well, market. To somebody Toronto and, Mar and Toronto and Vancouver are forty percent of the entire market, and they're fairly fairly close to what they do. So, it, it, as they go, the rest of it happens too, right? 
Yeah. I, 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 yes. Yeah. So we do have a newsletter, it's a paper-based newsletter that we send out monthly to all our clients and that kind of thing. But I guess I'm also interested in the reason I love- Did you just say paper-based, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. It's ridiculous. I know. You're kicking it old school. You're like, you're, I know. And I know we had a similar mentors and Dan Kennedy and, and Gary Helbert along the ways of things. And, and you'd be shocked at how paper newsletters uh, probably are going to make a renaissance. Yeah, yeah, we haven't got rid of it. And I just laugh because people make fun of us for it. But yes, it is paper based. And uh, but but the reason I love talking to someone like yourself is I feel as Canadians, if we're all educating ourselves, if Russell learns something and you share it with me, and then I can share it, we can all help each other in this weird and wonderful way. So we're more about trying to give information and let people make their own decisions. Um, and I know you're all about that kind of stuff as well, but that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to tell anyone this is the way and this is what's going to happen. It's more just about here's some information and how we're interpreting it. Maybe look into it for yourself and see what you decide. Okay. So, so speaking of that, um, what are you seeing, in, what are you seeing as some opportunities? Cause I think in any, any challenging crisis and any market that is in right now or, or deflationary or whatever, there is an opportunity in this as well. So what are you seeing as an opportunity? And I guess another way of putting it is if you were to put yours and, and your family's money into something, what are you, what are you guys investing in yourself right now? Okay, well, I need to be straight with you. Over the last little while, we have been busily upgrading our, our two buckets of the cash and the insurance policies, for yep. sure. But then on the real estate front, the opportunities that we see are that lending is going to tighten. So on prices, there's going to be some opportunities because the people who are on the fringes of qualifying, unfortunately, even if they want a property, they're not going to be able to get a property. So we are going to be presented, we think here in the Toronto area, there'll be a small window, we think, where we're going to be able to get some good cash flowing real estate at prices that um, we haven't been able to get. And um, that's going to be our opportunity. So for example, Russell, like out here in January and February of this year, we were back to 20 offers on a property, like all the way, I know, I know, you know, the Toronto area. So like, it'll be like all the way from St. Catharines to London, of course, Hamilton, Kitchener, Barrie, Oshawa. Like we were, we were multiple offers. And so as investors, we couldn't buy anything because we, we would have, we would want an, an, uh, an inspection on the property. And people would laugh at us because they're like, oh my gosh, we just are dealing with firm offers right now. We have 20 offers. Like, we're not going to take your home inspection clause. So that, as an investor, that's very challenging. So the opportunity might not sound very sexy at all, but the opportunity is just like, maybe we'll be able to get some properties under what they've been selling for and we'll be able to do our home inspections. And maybe it'll just be like, we'll be the only offer. Maybe there's one other one. So that might not sound too exciting, but to me, that's the opportunity that like now we're going to be able to get into the market again. As long as we can beat the financing tightening, we're going to be able to scoop up some properties. And out of every time like this, I know in 2000, listen, in 2008, we had, Nick and I were working with a lot less people back then, but we had 10 clients. I'll never forget this. We had 10 clients that said, Tom, if they're, you guys should not be buying real estate right now. Real estate's about to crash in Canada. Haven't you been watching what's happening in the U.S.? And uh, we had 10 clients who tell, told us this kind of stuff. And they said, and when, when it gets really bad in the US, that's when we're going to buy here because that's when it'll be bad here. And things kept, crap kept hitting the fan in the US and things were slowing down in Toronto. And we went to them and said, hey, things are starting to slow down. We were seeing multiple offers. We're not seeing multiple offers. Prices are like plateauing. Maybe we can slip in right here and get some properties. Mm -hmm. Out of those 10 who told us definitely, we had two only two out of the 10 who said for sure they would buy in that environment, only two proceeded. And let me tell you, we work with those two still today. Do you know how happy they are that they bought properties back then when everybody was telling them things were going to get worse? And they might have, but they were buying for cash flow to protect themselves, right? Yep. And so they got in and they are, and you know the story for the last 10 years, they're obviously very happy campers. So I guess my message is now, I think, if you think you're going to buy when crap really hits the fan, either you won't have the psychological ability to, because you'll be just too, which is fair, we're all scared, or the banks aren't going to lend. Yeah. Like if crap really hits the fan six months from now, banks aren't going to be lending. So even if you want to buy that property, you're not going to get it. 
So to me, that's why I talk about the three buckets at all times, because you're not going to be able to time the piece of real estate. Like no one's going to be able to go to Russell and say, today is the actual bottom of the market. You should buy today. This is the bottom of the market because the banks aren't lending or something's happening. You're not going to be able to buy at that time. So to us, you want those three buckets at all times, if wow. that makes sense. Now, that's a fantastic way of framing and and guys, you know, you know, one of the things I, I like to always talk about is, you know, how you represent yourself as a leader, how you represent yourself to your investment partners, how you represent yourself to your family, to your community, and how you show up is more important than the transactions you do. Being a good steward and being a good servant and being a good leader, this is when you need to step up and lean into this more than than ever. So wow. Oh, you know, Tom, I, I, um, I would love to keep going on and on here, but I know how crazy busy you are. And, and hey, I saw in that video, I saw also your new office that you had. You, last time I was out there, you guys were just in building it. So you're fully moved into the new office space? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we decided to uh, get our commercial piece of real estate in February 2020 when the biggest crisis that's hit the world hits one month later, Russell. So there you go. Like our, remember I told you about our 1990 story as a family, just, just watch what we do. And if we buy something, commercials fairly new to us. So, you know, just watch what we do and know if we go into something new, there's probably a big crisis right uh, around the corner. So are you are you the only tenant in your commercial space, or, or yeah, do you this have is others? actually it's a condo commercial little yeah. two story thing, and we bought two units. It's about four thousand six hundred square feet. Next time you're here, you got to come by and visit. We love to do our podcasts in person, so yeah. we'd love to have you um, in person. And uh, when we're allowed to see each other again, when we're allowed yeah. out to play at recess and show the Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in person, um, we'd love to have you on the podcast and, yeah. and, and share some of your your wisdom with everyone that uh, we reach as well, Russell. Nice, nice. Well. I'm going to get you to, maybe we can, and we're going to wrap it up here right away. Um, but what I would like from you, Tom, is to, uh, is if you could just leave a, a couple final, one of my core, my core values in life is to inspire, encourage, and come from a place of love. Um, if you can just maybe leave some inspiring words for everybody, like no pressure, but if you could just maybe leave some inspiring words with people that are, are, are maybe having a little bit of, you know, having trouble sleeping at night or they're just not sure of what to do or, or maybe they're so fired up in all these excitement, exciting opportunities and they're running around like a chicken with their head cut off and they just don't know what direction. What final insp- inspiring words would you leave with everybody here today? Um, I, I guess I can only leave you with what's had the biggest impact on my life. And I feel like when I moved to live by principles, instead of, um, I I wasn't say I was a bad person, Russell. It just, I, I didn't have congruency in my life. So when I decided to live by principles and our three for me personally, and for everyone here at Rockstar is do the right thing, treat others as you would treat yourself and give 110%. And I found when I lived by that number one, one, especially do the right thing, it forced me to do things I did not want to do, like have difficult discussions with tenants or, or, you know, talk to the bank when I didn't want to talk to the bank or, you know, if Nick and I in business had a challenge, it, it do the right thing would make us do things that maybe we didn't want to do. If we had to refund somebody some money or something like that, for some reason, just always do the right thing. And when I lived by that, I found that my my communications with my tenants got better because I could just, I, I told them I, I had to do what I was doing because this is the right thing to do in these circumstances with my family always doing the right thing at business doing the right thing. So as soon as I decided to live my life by principles, it's almost like all the areas of my life fell, fell into this, congru- had this congruency about it that my life got lighter and easier and I just was able to attract more opportunity into my life, which I know sounds crazy, but I really believe that to me, if you, if you live by principles and stand by them forever, that is what life is about. And, and, and when, when we're, it's a short time here on earth, Russell. And I feel like when we're at the end of our lives, if I can look back and say, you know, Russell asked me to come on that uh, zoom call with him. Did I give him everything I possibly could? And did I do the right thing for him at that moment? And if I can answer yes in all these situations, I feel like I'll live a satisfying life. It won't be how many properties I own, how many doors I own, how much things I have. It'll be, did I live a life that was true to the principles that were important to me? 
So I feel like in these times, it could be useful to write out the principles that you want to live by and see if every day you can strive to be closer and closer to them. Because I'm not perfect, right? And just try to live closer and closer. I'm rambling, Russell. No, no. That's what's important to me. I heard this term once. Um, I'm not sure where I heard it, but, uh, you know, I'm probably stealing it from somebody, but your life, your terms. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I'm joking because it comes from Tom and Nick. Yeah, yeah, it's one of yeah, your principles. That one. You're right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. You're absolutely yeah. yes. and, uh And so I'm going to offer something here for you as well before we sign off. Is I just wanted to just offer you some gratitude. I wanted to offer you and your team. And, uh, you know, if Nick was here, I'd be saying the exact same words to him. But I just wanted to offer you guys um, a congratulations on how you show up on how you serve, how you give your relentless pursuit of of making yourself better and putting the work in and your relentless pursuit to always help others that want to be helped. And uh, you guys are tremendous leaders in this community. And and I I was not joking earlier that you guys are truly national treasures, but you have, you're in Ontario, we need to get you out to a bigger audience. We really do. So so, so I just wanted to just give you some... some, uh, a high five and a, just a thank you for being amazing leaders. Russell, really appreciate that. And that means a lot coming from you. Thank you. Yeah. Seriously, thank you very much. All right, guys. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Uh, this is just one of many conversations that we have been having. Um, Tom, where would be the best place if somebody wants to get a hold of you and, you know, if they want to maybe uh, reach out and find out what you're, what you're doing out in Ontario or find out what's going on in, in the Rockstar uh, group, what, where's the best place people get a hold of uh, you and your community? Sure. All our stuff is linked off of rockstarinnercircle.com. So just rockstarinnercircle.com. You'll find all our stuff there. So that'd be the best place. And uh, speaking of old school, I probably can't... You're going to show me that Wayne Gretzky rookie card again. Oh, you know, I know. I, I'm, I'm about to... I that Wayne Gretzky rookie card. In my drawer, I have, I have oh this oh my from, my, uh, from things. And kicking it old school, yeah, I, I actually... So Tom, you know, I come, I come from a, a marketing direct response marketing. I actually had a tear in my eye when I was reading this. This was this was a Rembrandt. This was like watching Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel when when having. When You're doing, seeing. We're just trying. That's us at our best. So you know, that's that's we're just trying. We're trying. Yeah. And then the last thing I'm going to say is 100. percent It is the great one approved. The great one approved this one today. If you remember, next time you come, you have to bring that. I want to take a picture with you with that card, if you remember. Oh, no. My son said, Russell, this does not ever leave the house, and it never leaves the container. Honor your son. Yes, of course. (laughs) Honor your son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I agree with him. Keep the card. Keep the card. All right. Well, guys, thanks a lot. Have yourself a wonderful day, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Russell. Hey gang, one final message before we end today's show. There are two primary ways to create a breakthrough in your life. The first is meeting new people, having inspiring conversations, sharing ideas and experiences with these new people. The second is acquiring implementation and mastery of a new skill. That's it. Every breakthrough you've ever experienced in your life and real estate has come from a result of one of those two things, which means if you're feeling stuck and you're in search of answers, if you aren't where you want to be in your real estate investing business, your money, or even your relationships, then the path to changing that is clear. Your solution will be fine by meeting someone new or acquiring a new skill. Before I tell you about an incredible opportunity to help you move forward, I wanted to share an audio clip from one of my recent clients. Hey everyone, my name is Mike. If you are a real estate investor that's looking to grow your portfolio, maybe scale it to the next level, or maybe you're even looking at leaving your job and becoming a real estate investor full time, then I would highly encourage you to reach out and have a conversation with Russell. That is exactly where I was two years ago. I had been a veterinarian for 10 years and I felt a little bit trapped in my career and struggling to grow my real estate portfolio to that next level. Russell and I started working together in January of 2018. And by July of 2018, I had officially worked my last day ever as a veterinarian. Honestly, I have just so much gratitude for Russell. I can't say enough good things about him. He has had an amazing impact on both my real estate investing career but also my life. So if you are looking for someone to kind of help you and guide you, honestly, 
reach out and have a conversation. You won't regret it. If you would like to have the same type of results in your investing and your life, I highly encourage you to book a free consultation to take the first step. At the time of this recording, these consultations are still free and they're based upon a first come, first serve, and they are truly limited. If you go to my website at russellwestcott.com, there's a big button on the top right of the page called free consultation. That's russellwestcott.com. And after you answer a few questions of where you're at in your journey, and it will help me prepare for our conversation, you will get access to my calendar to book a one-on-one time. This is a truly a great opportunity, and I look forward to helping you move forward. All right. So what did you think? Wasn't that a wonderful interview with Tom? What a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of information. Now, I know we both mentioned in there very clearly that neither of us are economists or neither of us are bankers or neither of us are are, uh, people with PhDs and things like that. We're just real estate investors that have a dog in the hunt and we pay attention. So what a wonderful look. Tom shared some amazing stories of some of the challenging times that he went through and him and his family, but it didn't deter them from taking the action. It didn't deter them from keep moving forward. I love the three buckets that he analyzes. The bucket number one is having cash available. Bucket number two is having good performing hard assets. And bucket number three is have insurance, not an insurance policy, which is part of it, but just having insurance around the whole system um, coming down. So a wonderful look into the insights into uh, a person I would consider him a genius, a really, a truly a genius. He's a savant when it comes to a lot of these things and the insights into the market insights as well. So hope you enjoyed this uh, interview with Tom Carrazza. By all means, guys, if you got some value of this, please, you know, share it. Please tell other people about it. Please, you know, pass the word along. If you did get value, which I know you did, please tell a friend. That's how we grow these things. That's how we can share this. That's how we can get the word out to more investors like yourself. Sharing is caring. And I can't wait to start sharing even more with you. This is something that I just love to do. I spend hours and hours and hours putting together these resources for you guys so I can just help you move forward. The last thing I'm going to leave you with is make sure in every encounter you have with another person that they leave feeling inspired, encouraged, and always know that you came from a place of love. Okay, guys, talk to you very soon. Until the next video, we'll see you then. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.